Hello everyone. Welcome to Future Imagined, a Foresight podcast dedicated to futures thinking. My name is Sandeep Das and I lead Foresight for emerging countries for Mars Wrigley. The topic for today's podcast is the future of AI. Now when I was researching for this topic, the following are some of the interesting headlines that sprung up in my feed. Google fires engineer who claims its AI is conscious and has a soul. Number 2. The future of creativity brought to you by AI. Number 3. Chess robo breaks child's finger at Russia tournament. Number 4. AI could be the future of mental illness detection. Let me recount my own journey. I come from the land of technology and so do our guests today. Over the last 15 years I have seen AI move from being pivot tables in Excel to performing precision heart surgeries. I hope someday it can do my job of hosting a podcast like this in my voice and the audience should not be able to tell if it is the AI engine or me hosting it. In a way This is the Turing test for podcast hosts. If you're a nerd, you would have got the reference. Now without any further ado, let our fabulous guests introduce themselves to you today. I should tell you that today is one of those rare episodes where I might be calling out my own name a few times. Sandeep is such a beautiful name because I share that with you. So this is Sandeep Dadlani, I'm Chief Digital Officer of Mars. Uh, I've been with Mars five years. Prior to that, I've been in both investment banking and tech industries, and I pretend to be dangerous with uh, with AI, especially in how it applies to large enterprises. Hello, everyone. My name is Rahul Shah. I'm a partner at Bain and Company, and I predominantly focus on everything to do with data, including data science, AI, along with the technology component associated with it. Over the last 23 years I had worked on various aspects of technology as it is still maturing. I've also worked closely with some of our clients who are utilizing AI to create a business impact at scale. Excellent. So let's get started without any further ado and let me start with an open-ended question and this is for both of you. What is the future of AI? Listen, I think it's like 1752 Benjamin Franklin has just invented electricity. and people are thinking what is the future of electricity well the future of electricity is it's invisible it's immaterial it's everywhere so i extrapolate that to ai i think it will be ubiquitous it will be omniscient it will not be a thing now new and intelligent applications breakthrough applications will keep coming out and our jaws will drop again and again every time hey right now we're discovering the electric cars can be scaled right and that's just more than 300 years after electricity was introduced i think the ai journey will be faster exponentially but i think it will become like arithmetic just the basic in every app every experience every way of living that we think of so think ubiquity omniscience and just basic arithmetic ai will be like that Thank you Sandeep. Notice the choice of words he is using. AI is going to be everywhere basic and arithmetic. Rahul, what's your take? I think for me if I simplify AI, it is the process of reproducing human intelligence and behavior artificially in machines. 
So we as a human being are trying to develop our own replica who can behave and understand the world like we do. And we are the reference to an extent for now, which we are comparing it against. In my view, we are just at an early stage of AI. And I agree to everything what Sandeep has said. We have achieved a major milestone by the advancement of technology in terms of the speed, the processing, and predominantly in terms of the cost. However, the reason I say we are just uh, scratching the surface is because we are for now dealing with a lot of logical decisions for a very specific applications area focused on decision making. When I look at the future, I look at kind of three main shift in terms of futures of AI. First, the ability to process both logical and emotional intelligence. Then ability to become more generalist so that you can switch tasks like humans do. Today, most of the applications are very specialized on one specific purpose. And the last element, which I would personally love, is the ability of AI to include unconstrained movement similar to what humans do and what robotics is trying to achieve outside the factory floor. That's an excellent take, Rahul. Notice he said, it's about replicating human intelligence onto machines. I can tell you no AI can ever replicate the intelligence of someone with the name Sandeep. On that note, let's let's move on to Sandeep. Sandeep, you've worked with many traditional or legacy firms in your career. And how can some of these firms adapt to AI applications in the future, given their legacy past? Give us a few live examples. What works and typically what doesn't? First of all, when you use the word traditional or legacy firms, uh, creates a certain mindset among us. So these firms may not be forward thinking or they may not be new and open to the mindset. Actually, if you think about firms that have really launched practical applications of AI, you can go into retail, which is considered the most traditional of all industries, mostly. And retailers experimented a lot with these robots who were supposed to be assisting us while shopping. And this was in the 1990s. I remember a number of retailers had robots that you could walk into a store and you could ask this robot what you wanted and the robot will lead you pleasantly to the aisle. It never took off. Not because the technology wasn't there. It's just that people didn't understand users. That when I'm shopping, I have my phone in my left ear my wife is trying to give me a shopping list, which I can barely understand. And I'm confused between aisles. The last thing I want to do is to listen to some machine that is, by the way, walking at a different pace than mine. And it's looking scary for most people around it. So the technology wasn't the problem. I think what has worked since then is all the warehouses of retailers are now being armed with robots for picking, for inventory scanning, for you know allocation and so on. It's a good example of legacy firms trying successfully and then trying not so successfully using AI. I mean, I represent Mars here and Mars is, some would say, a 110-year-old legacy firm. And then there are parts of Mars that are very, very new age in terms of how we go about a business, our pet care ecosystem, etc. And we're using AI now for detecting cancer in dogs more accurately than what radiologists and pathologists can do. And that's phenomenal. It's just a series of crazy sprints that these radiologists and pathologists, fantastic Mars associates, decided to immerse themselves in. And we're detecting unique disease conditions, unique uh, mitotic cells, and helping pets live better and helping create a better world for pets. So that's an extreme example of AI in a legacy firm, as you call it, being used in in an amazingly future-ready way that can be then transported into the human health regime as well. So those are some examples, but the big conclusion, the big learning here is the AI wasn't important in all these examples. It was how close we got, 
how intimate to the user experience. The Turing test, which you mentioned earlier, you can go read this up. The Turing test was called the imitation test. And then later on was renamed the Turing test. So the imitator is not important, but watching who you're imitating closely is very important. And that's what works in legacy firms as well. That's a fabulous perspective, Sandeep. And I think the point which I really like is about the human being or the experience being at the center. And if you look at what human beings are discussing these days, one of the big conversations if you're having is this East versus West debate. It's happening across all spheres in life. And Rahul, I, I, want, to, I want to bring in your rich experience here. So when we talk about AI and its applications, how does it differ from the East and how does it differ against the West and how is it likely to move in the future? My thoughts are in line to what Sandeep said. It's more about the application than the technology itself. If you look at digital, it's growing on both parts of the world, but it is taking a bit of different shape. In my view, East is dealing with much bigger clusters of customer segments, while West is relatively has more focus on personalization as an individual. From AI point of view, there are a few differences, and let me just highlight two of them. The first is just the sheer amount of data and the flexibility in the ecosystem to capture it and utilize it. I was in India two weeks before, and every shop I visited, be it a food stall or a mall, everyone asked me for my phone number so that they can send me a text when the order is ready or send me a receipt with everybody around me just giving it over there. And for me, it was a little bit surprising that you are getting so much information about me so easily, so you exactly understand what I'm purchasing and where. Now, sharing the data about your purchasing behavior, especially offline, seems to be much more prominent, which by default gives much more opportunities, which has to be managed carefully in terms of how do you apply AI. The second difference, and again, it's less about the technology itself, but it's more to do with the culture. When you build an AI application, what is okay and where do you see a potential opportunity and where do you see a bit of invasion of privacy or not the right application is still based on how we think and what are our own judgments. MIT created a platform called Moral Machines where they asked different people across the world on few moral dilemmas while driving a car. The platform captured 40 million decisions in 10 languages and 233 countries and territories. And the outcome was very interesting. Couple of observations were that the individualistic cultures, predominantly West, and collective cultures, predominantly East, showed different preferences when it comes to elderly. As per the data, based on the country's economic state, predicted which lives are more important than the others or which goals are more important than the others. So besides the commercial application development through AI based on the consumer demand, these are some of the dilemmas which so far it has been difficult to come together as one world. And we all see what is important a little bit differently with respect to our cultural backgrounds. For people who are listening to this podcast, let me highlight a few words which Rahul used. Culture, judgment, moral dilemma, and preference. It's very interesting. These are human traits and human behaviors and human emotions that he's touching about. Now, as we also try to bring the human being to the forefront of this experience, and Sandeep, let me come to you and bring the human being behind Sandeep Dadlani to the forefront. So let's talk about your personal journey. What are some of your biggest successes and more importantly, some of the biggest failures in your personal journey over the last many, many years? Our audience would be thrilled to listen to this. I remember summer interning in uh, BPL Mobile 
and they asked me to build a predictive model to help identify people who apply for mobile phones that have low credit history. And you know, one of the interesting insights I found was that in India, where this company operated, you had to declare your education and your father's education at that time. So if I'm applying for a mobile phone, I'll say my education is matriculate or, or high school or undergrad, and my father's education just undergrad. Right? And you know what? Your father's education had a high R square with your credit worthiness. Now, before you start judging everybody with that, I'm just telling you what the data told me then. And that was an interesting introduction to regression, which of course later on being got classified as AI because now we like calling it something sexy. We call it AI. And so that was my first introduction. I worked a lot in Infosys where I helped set up the AI subsidiary, Edgeworth, which uh, we created many AI platforms on. And we obviously fell in love with the technology. I think half of our implementations were successful and the other half, if I can fairly represent my friends at Infosys, was you know really mixed because it wasn't that user-centric. I remember a very large retailer asking us to create this massive petabyte of data and AI assets and calling it a tech cafe on the ground floor of the headquarters of the retailer, saying, if we build it, they will come. And nobody came. It was an empire we built. And it was a, a failure, to be honest. But then learning from that, we said, hey, we have to start with the user. Now, the Mars journey has been uh, remarkable because First of all, it's one of the most human companies on the planet. I think it's the most human company on the planet. The hugs, the smiles, the cries, the tears, the laughs, more in Mars than anywhere else. And that allows us to get close to many, many users. The three people at the end of the production line in the Stupino factory were simply opening random M&Ms packets and checking if the colors are fine, if the numbers are fine. They were not meant to do that. And so today AI does it. Pets and how they act, how they wag their tails, how they lick, how they scratch, how they eat. All of that was sending us signals. Just because they can't talk doesn't mean we can't record the signals and predict the kind of conditions that pets may go through. Now that we're roll, rolling out digital twins, we have 200 plus use cases at scale. I think Mars is considered a reasonably successful AI transformation from where we were five years ago to today. So it's been up and down, to be honest, and, and lots of failures. I'd say 50% failure, 50% success, but all in the quest of creating better human experiences. Thank you, Sandeep. That's an incredibly honest and an incredibly authentic answer. I remember from his regression example that the first time I learned Excel, I learned how to make a pivot table. And later I found out there were some startups that were terming pivot table as AI. And we've all gone on that <laughs> yeah. journey. Now, Rahul, I, you, you are an incredibly well-read person. I came across very clearly when I was having a chat with you earlier. How do you keep abreast of the latest pioneering work in the field of AI? So what can someone like me read, listen, or watch? Now, just, just to put this into context, my favorite show is Breaking Bad, but I doubt Breaking Bad will teach me anything about the future of AI. So what should I read, listen, or watch? If you look at the information today, if you just look for anything, it's just incredible that how easy it is to get that information, which is just phenomenal in terms of how much information is available, just if you are hungry and curious to learn. What I particularly do is I keep a scan of the startups and the investment, because I think it gives me a fair picture in terms of what has been tried and where the investors are investing. It's just fascinating to see the new ideas a lot of people are coming with. Some of the examples with Sandeep, which you shared about in terms of predicting cancers, 
in the pets is just phenomenal that how do you relook at the problem differently? So that is one source for me. The second source is I love watching documentaries and especially the ones which involves future and machine and innovation and the history. So one of my favorite is called The Secret Rules of Modern Living by Open University. It's a BBC documentary. It just talks about how many algorithms are running in the back end in our everyday life. I'm not sure if people remember that when iPhone first came, which was much smaller, how could everybody in the world type on that small screen so quickly and so efficiently? And a lot of people didn't realize that there was AI operating in the back end to really solve that problem. And then the third source which I have is the podcast that I'm looking for future applications and unsolved challenges. I won't say I have a favorite single source of it so far, but it's just a very broad spectrum. When you look at podcasts from the technology vendors, when you look at the podcasts from the industry leaders who are applying, and when you look at podcasts by enthusiasts who kind of try to imagine future like what you're trying to do, Sandeep. Thank you, Rahul. Goes without saying, Rahul's favorite podcast is the one you're currently listening to. I like the point which he which he made first, which is about follow what the investors are doing. This is the good old principle, follow the money and you'll know essentially what is happening. I'm going to add my two cents to this. I think there are certain series uh, you should watch to understand where the world is headed. Black Mirror was an excellent example that came out a couple of years ago. For some of you who haven't seen The Severance that's uh, been released in Feb this year, it's an excellent take in terms of where our world and where the future of AI lies. Now, what also happens is me as a personal user, because there is so much conversation around tech that I do find it suffocating sometimes. So I'm a big runner. So these days when I go running, I actually don't carry the phone, neither do I carry the watch. I just go out and I just run and I just follow the sun. So Sandeep, this question is to you that technology has penetrated every aspect of our lives. And I'm going to touch this lens about digital detox. So With increasing penetration of technology, how is digital detox from a consumer point of view likely to play out? So will AI vanish into the background or will AI seamlessly blend in or is there a hybrid version we are talking about? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty torn here because I was aghast at my teenage girls spending so much time on TikTok until I myself started spending a lot of time on TikTok. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. I can spend hours on this thing and continue to be entertained. And every 20 seconds sort of shift context and, you know, listen to music, listen to tips. Hey, listen to even AI classes. So by the way, if you want good AI classes, you can find them on TikTok in 30 second, 60 second increments. So what's going on? So I look back into the history and if you read periodicals in the 1930s and 1940s, there are a lot of articles saying radio is going to be really bad for you. Like radio is going to really destroy you, your focus, your imagination is going to brain feed you things. Radio. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you don't even think of radio as a digital medium and that was considered harmful. So I think the interesting thing is as new technologies, new entertainment mediums, new breakthrough formats enter our life, they compete for our attention. They compete for our imagination. They compete for our focus. They are not inherently bad. Like I think TikTok is great. I think it's great. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you that when I was uh, doing a reverse mentoring session with one of our interns just last week, she said, TikTok is so passe. It's be real now. Are you on be real? Like, what is be real? So the next thing is going to come on us faster than we think. I think the idea is not digital detox, but the idea is to make sure that you retain your humanness. And the humanness comes from, yes, experiencing all these things, but also finding time for focus, finding time for 
crying, for laughing, for dancing, for running, for getting the sunlight that you're getting, Sandeep Das, and so on and so forth. But humanness is also looking at the AI-generated scripts of Breaking Bad. So if you're a Breaking Bad fan, go look at the AI-generated scripts of Breaking Bad. They are sometimes better than the original scripts. They're really cool. You don't want to miss out on that. You love Breaking Bad. You want to see those things as well. So my thing is, I think a balance is important. Retaining your humanness is important, but also experiencing everything digital has to offer. That's progress. That is great. I'm going to start scrolling on Instagram without any regret from now on. Rahul, I'm going to ask you the toughest question in this podcast next. I'm pretty sure this is going to get you into trouble, but I'm still going to ask you this. We are going to talk about Big Brother. We are going to talk about global governments. Now, a critical element in this AI journey is uh, themes like regulation and data privacy. Now, with this as context, where do you see the future of AI? That is a tough question. Information was always a critical asset for almost all the governments. What has changed, in my view, is the new technology that has enabled them to capture the new information sources, which was not visible before. So thanks to the development of technologies like smart personal devices, which are predominantly a digital exhaust, you have video technologies which can be used for surveillance, you have online ecosystems, you have automation through digitalization among few. So suddenly there is such so much information which was available now, which was not even imaginable earlier. Now, government plays an important role in terms of how will they utilize information generated in their own regions by machines and humans. However, what they decide to do with it and how do they go about it will continue to differ a bit in my view. I don't yet see a future where we'll all agree globally on one ethical guidelines. Now, each government has their own definition of growth, their own socioeconomic constraints, and almost all of them have their own heritage and culture which they would like to protect and at times to grow. The regulation towards usage of data is still maturing in East and the volumes are just very high, which is great if you are just looking for an application which utilizes data as a basic fuel. It is not the case that the West has not seen this. They have gone through that cycle where data was just shared without knowing what its implications and now they are regulating it and we are discussing ethics. Now, before we take a critical eye, we also need to remember that we all are still learning about a lot of new topics, including diversity, including inclusion, including ethics. What we defined a couple of years before as okay, as an example under diversity, soon turned out to be not okay. We all as human beings are improving on it. And I see AI on a similar journey when it comes to ethics and some of this constraint. And I think that's the journey which a lot of regulatory board and governments will go through it. And I say this with a lot of love and respect. I do not see yet that we all will agree on one form, but I hope that each region will make a conscious choice in terms of how they would like to use it. I like the phrasing where Rahul says, I say this with a lot of love and respect. I was going to cross grill him on that, but I'm not going to get him into more trouble. So the one part where I am troubled about is honestly decision making in AI. And I'm especially worried about the future of my job. So till now, if you saw AI is largely about doing repetitive jobs or even semi-autonomous work like precision heart surgery. But Sadeep, my question to you first is, uh, do you see independent, critical decision-making being done by the AI engines in the future? Should I be worried about my annual bonus this year? Well, you, you could be worried about it depending on how you're doing and how this podcast fares. But I think <laughs> you don't have to really worry about your annual bonus 
as far as you satisfy the, the new Turing test, and the new Turing test, and I'm just making this up as we go, is the things that you do are not easily imitable by a machine. And so if you're connecting with a colleague and just listening to how her day went and helping her understand how she can be more productive tomorrow, maybe there are parts of that that an AI can't replicate because you're noticing that her eyes are welling up and she had a tough day and that she pauses more than usual compared to yesterday. And the AI wasn't programmed to even look for that. Or if you're going and meeting consumers who are explaining to you that they're buying some of the new Snickers packets because their taste reminds them of a sweet they had growing up during their childhood. And that should be your marketing point, not the other marketing points of Snickers. And so as far as you are discovering and listening for the new and using all your emotive capabilities and faculties to continue to get more and more consumer centric and user centric, you're far ahead of any AI that any AI can ever do. If you generalize that in critical, independent decision making, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, in the morning, what time I should leave from home used to be a critical, independent decision, depending on my estimate of the daily news and the commute and the traffic and the you know chaos on the roads. Now I, I'm just getting an alert on my phone saying, hey, listen, we see your timing of a meeting is coming up at 8 a.m. Your commute's 30 minutes, but today there's a traffic issue, a weather issue, this issue, so you better start 15 minutes earlier. The AI is now taking over that critical independent decision-making and they will keep taking it over slowly and slowly. And those were not critical. Those were not independent. The most critical independent decision-making was happened when, happening when you were observing, you were listening, you were emoting, you were being curious, and no AI in the world can take that away. That's a very interesting take, and I, and I love what Sandeep is saying. So I'm a writer, and I write books, and I was recently reading upon if there is an AI engine that can actually write fictional stuff. So it turns out there's a program which is being piloted in one of the universities in the US where the AI engine can write fictional stuff and apparently people are now saying it writes better than the original writer. That's very, very interesting. So Rahul, I'm going to come to you. You're a partner at Bain. So is there a day possible where, say, the partner in a Bain assignment is an AI engine and you have a team of smart consultants working for the AI engine? If you look at any strategy consulting house, and if I simplify what we do in two steps, there is an element of what we call a tackle and solve, which means that once you have defined the right problem statement, which is an important step. How do you then tackle and solve with your quantitative skills in terms of what would be the right solution to go towards it? And then you have the second element of which, which has to do with engage and mobilize. So when you do a tackle and solve, you can use AI for sure. You can get a lot of benefit from doing a lot of massive utilization of data to process all of that and to give you a recommendation much faster. But then you have to add up the context to it. So you have to give it the right constraint. And then you come to this element of what I call as engage and mobilize, that it's not about the solution, it's about the adoption of the solution. That how do you then engage and mobilize leaders, which is not how do you enable that point of view? How do you understand the context they are coming from? And I think this is where I yet do not see AI coming closer to it. So we use AI, we use open AI for a lot of our internal stuff. We also use AI for some of our clients, but again, this is predominantly on how do you tackle and solve a particular topic once you have defined the problem statement, once you have given the right constraints for the context. This is where you can use it, but that's about it for now. I'm going to call both Sandeep and Rahul five years down the line, and I'm going to replay their answers to them, and I'm going to ask them to comment on that. It'll be a very interesting episode five years down the line. 
With that, we have only one last question. Give us one wildcard prediction on the future of AI. So if I had Elon Musk on this podcast, he would have probably said AI will colonize life on Mars very soon. But I'd love to hear from our guests, what is the one wildcard prediction they have to make? Sandeep? Well, I mean, uh, on Elon Musk's prediction, AI has colonized Mars, as in the company Mars. We, we, we have uh, AI very prevalent and, and scaled up in Mars. But when I think about wildcard predictions, I think about what happened during COVID and how the vaccines were developed. And I read about Moderna and how during the vaccine development of Moderna, usually when you're trying to assemble an mRNA protein structure, and then you're trying it out in clinical tests. Traditional ways produce about 30 structures a month, and they use AI to produce thousands of mRNA structures that work in a month. And I was like, why didn't that AI get a Nobel, Nobel Prize? So it's not even a wildcard prediction. I think AI will partner with human beings to get joint Nobel Prizes. That's my prediction. Before I put the prediction, and it might not be as wide, the first thing I'd like to highlight is that I think the AI term will disappear. It's like, we used to use this term called smartphone. I don't think a lot of people use that term anymore. So it is just the first step of it. If I look at the prediction, I think the technologies which mature so much that I don't think we might be typing at all. We might just be talking or things observing us to kind of figure out what do we want. I will not be surprised that if we have elements in our brain which can capture our thoughts and provide the inputs to AI. So that's my wild prediction where the boundaries will blur, but definitely keyboard will win history and the term AI itself will be a history. Fantastic. So five years later, I won't have to call it future of AI. I'll have to think of another term. But with this, we come to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank all our guests for a fantastic discussion. Here are my three key takeaways for you as the host. Number one, sometimes we give excessive importance to AI. At best, it's a tool. And at worst, it's a nasty peer. It's unlikely it'll ever become a bad boss. You can handle this honestly. Number two, if you heard the conversation today, it was more about human values rather than technology. Honestly, that is what the future is about. There are 7 billion human beings and everything will center around their emotions, with or without AI. Number three, we all have to adapt and move with the times, like what our grandparents did 50 years ago. As much as we believe everything is changing, things remain the same more than they change. With that, we bid adieu to this episode. Look forward to hosting you on another exciting one. Until then, I'm Sandeep. Stay curious. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player so you don't miss new episodes. And if you can, a five-star Apple review goes a long way to help us connect with other curious thinkers like yourself, and we really appreciate it. The views expressed on this podcast are that of the show's creators, the foresight leaders within Mars Wrigley, and don't necessarily reflect the views of Mars or other employers. Future Imagined is a production of Stories Bureau, produced by Elisa Manjares, with editing and sound design by Matha de Leon. <laughs>